Hymn 187, if you'll turn to it, this is the hymn we've been working on. We're actually on stanza number three. Hymn 187, When All the World Was Cursed, our St. John the Baptist hymn. With stanza two, we saw that he pointed out Jesus even while he's in the womb. And actually, the Savior was in the womb as well, and by his jumping, he points him out. Stanza three. Behold the Lamb of God, Behold the Lamb of God. that bears the world's transgression, whose sacrifice removes the enemy's oppression. John points him out. John's out in the wilderness. Um, uh, we hear about uh, Jesus at the time being in the area. John says, behold, take a look. He is the Lamb of God. To call Jesus the Lamb of God, what does lamb already imply? What does it imply? Ooh, it is going to mean that it's God's son. But the lamb's going to tell us even more. Whatever else. Cecil? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. In the Old Testament, what did they do with lambs? They would have a sacrifice. They would kill the lamb instead of a person. In fact, they had one ceremony in which you would confess someone's sins, especially the sins of the people, and the priest would have his hands on the head of the lamb, and then they would take the lamb and they would sacrifice the lamb. So to say this is the Lamb of God, he is God's son. But he is going to be God's son that is going to die or suffer and die for our sins. Behold, the Lamb of God. Um, what is he going to do? He's going to bear up. He's going to carry, bear, hold. It says the world's transgressions. What are transgressions? What are those? Cecil's in the back. It's the sins of the world, exactly. So, rather than us having to suffer, bear our own sins, God says to his Lamb of God, to his Son, to Jesus, says to him, you're going to bear, you're going to carry their sins, the one who bears the world's transgression. It says, whose sacrifice removes, Jesus gives up himself, says, rather than them dying, I'll die in their place. So he takes our, our punishment. It talks about the enemy's oppression. I guess we got to get with both of those words. What about an enemy? Who is the enemy? The devil, the devil is? Satan, the devil? How does he oppress? What does he do? Hmm. Time? Um, he tells us about things like you're not a good enough Christian. Oh. You, you don't obey God's law. God can't possibly love you. Uh, in the scriptures, a particularly like Revelation, it talks about him being the accuser. And so you're right. He's always using his words to accuse us. Mark, did you have? I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Same thing. You know, always pointing out our sins to us. 
Ah, points out our sins, wants us to give up, wants us to say, oh, I, there's no way I, I, can, I can be saved. Um, yeah, Karn? Um, Karen? And that oppresses other people sometimes. And, and then can uh, pull down, yeah. Um, there's a lot of things he doesn't have power over. You know, he can't make you do anything. Um, he doesn't have control over the uh, God's world. Um, only as so far as, as the Lord lets him, like a dog on a chain, lets him only go so far. And so, here comes Jesus. Through his sacrifice, he removes the enemy's oppression. Um, the enemy primarily uses words. He oppresses us by his accusation. He's always accusing us. You're not good enough. Um, God doesn't really love you. Um, you're not going to heaven. He, he's always coming with those we know that, and Jesus says, that he is a liar and says that he's the father of lies. Well, when Jesus removes, uh, his sacrifice removes the enemy's oppression. Hmm. So when the devil comes and says, God doesn't really love you, what does Jesus say? That it's not true, God does love you. He does. In fact, how do I know this? What's, what loving thing did he do? He heals people, and he can also make, make them believe more. Yeah. He gave his life for us. He, he gave his life for us. I mean, you know, I, you might say, well, here, I'll give you a dollar, you know, or I'll, I'll give you some help, or I'll give you a ride, you know. He gives us his own life. Wow, that's a, that's a lot of love. Whoa, to say that God the Father doesn't love us, that, that's a lie. Um, when the devil says, you've sinned greatly, what do we say to him? Yeah, probably have. Well, um, and therefore, you're not going to be saved? That's when he's got the lie. He's always got a lie in there. There's always something in which we say, no, I'm not saved by what I do or what I don't do. I'm saved because Jesus took away my sins. That's who I'm trusting in. And so all of this oppression, you're not good enough. Oh, he always wants to tear you down. He always wants to... You go, wait a minute. Um, the only, God loves me. I don't have to be good enough. His son, his beloved son, he loves... So here we have the enemy's oppression is taken away. Keep going. Stanza three. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. The bearer of our sin. The bearer of our sin. Who for our peace and joy... Will full atonement win? Will full atonement win? So John the Baptist is telling us ahead of time, listen, he's going to fully atone for our sin. He's going to completely take it away. After Jesus dies on the cross, right, the last words are, it is finished. There's nothing else needs to be done. He's completed it. He's done it. And so we talk about the oppression of the enemy. Here it says, what does he do? By bearing our sins... He gives us our peace and joy. If you look at that at the bottom of the page there, that's stanza three. Next week, we're going to take a look at the next stanza. 
the next stanza begins uh, verse four or stanza four with thrice blessed, three times blessed. What are those three blessings? Well, I got peace and joy in stanza three, and then when I get to the end of stanza four, I've got righteousness and peace. So peace is repeated twice, but you got righteousness, peace, and joy, thrice blessed. So going back, how does he how does he do this? He gives us peace. I I don't need to be concerned. Um, when the devil's trying to tear me down, I say, no, I've got peace with God. I know the Lord's taking care of me. I know I'm going to heaven. Um, yes, I've sinned. I'm sorry for my sins. I'll confess it if you tell me what I did. I, I, but I'm trusting in Jesus. Um, it gives me a joy of knowing I'm his child and he loves me. Um, if I sin gets pointed out, it's because he doesn't want me to fall into that. Very good. But, but he, he loves me. This is what our uh, John the Baptist he comes letting us know that's the kind of Jesus we have. We don't have a Jesus that is harsh. We don't have a Jesus that is trying to harm us. We have one that gives us life that loves us. Um, whoa. Uh, John the Baptist is pointing out the one who takes away the oppression and gives us a peace and a joy, ultimately a righteousness before God because uh, Jesus did everything that we need. Stanza number three. Any questions? Comments? Let's go look, sing stanza three. Behold the Lamb of God that bears the world's transgression, whose sacrifice removes the enemy's oppression. Behold the Lamb of God, the bearer of our sin, who for our peace and joy will full atonement win. All right, we're on the seventh commandment in the catechism. It's also in your hymnal in the front on page 300 if you want to take a look at it. Um, we've gone through the first six. The first three commandments deal with how do we act towards God. Commandment four was about God's gift of parents. Um, commandment five was about our bodies, uh, that is protection of them. Um, commandment number six was about God's gift of marriage, including sexuality. With commandment number seven, uh, we're going to deal with possessions. We're going to deal with the stuff that God provides for us. Commandment number seven. You shall not steal. Everyone? You shall not steal. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that... We should fear and love God so that... We do not take... Our neighbor's money or possessions. Our neighbor's money or possessions. So that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions. So that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions. Or get them in any dishonest way. Or get them in any dishonest way. But help him to improve and protect. His possessions and income. His possessions and income. But help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. But help him to 
help him to improve and protect his possessions. I usually remember that the letters are IPPI, improve, protect, possessions, income. IPPI, kind of like Mississippi. All right, so with the seventh commandment, you have both what we are not to do, and with each commandment, you have what we are supposed to do. We're not to take what? What belongs to our neighbor, our neighbor's possessions and uh, money or possessions. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to protect what he has to help him keep what belongs to him. We are to improve and protect his possessions and income. So, possessions. God has given us stuff. Maybe it's a piece of property. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's a toy, a puzzle. Maybe it's uh, whatever God has given us. He has given us all kinds of stuff. How, how does he do that? How does God get those possessions so that it becomes mine? How does he do that? He gives you a way to earn it. What now? He gives you a way to earn it. He gives you a way to earn it. So he may give you a brain. He may, in which you might use this intellect. He may give you a body. Maybe you're going to a roof. A shingle a roof, and by that someone's going to pay you for your labor or for you know your thinking. Yeah, he created us so that we could work hard in this thing. Okay. Um. What about what about Nikolai? Nikolai, you've been uh, you got a job? <laughs> no, you've been working. Uh, a little. Okay. Um. So where do you, do you have any? You got food? Clothing? Yeah. Bed? Where's he getting all this stuff? I, Danny knows. Sometimes God provides stuff by what? By parents. Yeah. Um, sometimes by the gifts of others. Absolutely. Uh, sometimes there are those. Um, Jesus says the poor you'll always have with you. Sometimes by means of charity we'll provide for those. Um, someone came by this week asking for some help. You have given me some money. I was able to give them a gift card to help them to get some food and some things of that sort. In that way, sometimes God provides in those ways. Sometimes he provides by means of our, our working. Yeah, so I work for somebody else, and I uh, shingle their roof. And so they pay me. They pay me $200. What... Um, where did they get this $200? When I, when I take their $200, am I stealing? Am I breaking the seventh commandment when I take that $200? Why not? Oh, is it? Because if you work for it and you're giving it to you in a generous way, because you earned it. Because I earned it. I worked that all day. And so they say, okay, if you do this, I will, I will pay you. Exactly. Now, if I go over to their house... Uh, open up the back window, reach into their purse and take $200 out and walk away. Now, now am I stealing? Yeah. I, I still got 200 bucks. But this now, I didn't work for it, did I? 
Um, that way of stealing, um, usually if someone engages in that particular practice, especially uh, repeatedly and to make it a vocation, uh, you will find that they are pursued and they are locked up. Um, uh, we, don't, we look down upon that quite a bit. But, hmm, if I go over to my neighbor's house and, uh, uh, oh, and, and tell them I'm going to shingle their roof, and I shingle only the front part of the roof and not the back part, and I bring them out to the front and say, take a look, see, I shingled your roof, give me 200 bucks, and they give me 200 bucks for doing half a job. Now, did I steal? In what way? How did I steal that time? I am being dishonorable. I took a day's wage for half a day's work. Exactly. Now, at some point, you're right, um, it may be that someone who does this in an intentional way, yes, but there are many who I'm going to say uh, work for someone and don't give them a day's work for a day's wage. And in that way, you might say they're stealing from them $20 every day by their laziness, by their uh, um, dishonesty, um, and, and in those ways, and those people are never caught. We never even know, in fact, here they are, they work for you. They're as if they're your friends, where someone else who is stealing, you know, if someone came in and stole 20 bucks out of your wallet every day, you'd lock them up. But if they do it in a dishonest way, by their not giving you a, a, a day's work, um, most of the time, never caught. Uh, Luther talks about uh, the thievery, and, and he calls it a, uh, what do they call it, a guild, the guild of thievery. He said, if everyone who stole was uh, put on the gallows, he said, we'd run out of uh, hangmen and we'd run out of gallows. <laughs> he says, everybody steals from everybody else. And he says, at the point that you steal so that you get a house, you're going to find that someone else is going to steal from you. And the Lord is going to work it out. Um, what does he want? He does give us possessions, and he wants us to use those. He gives to us so that we support children, so that we support our parents, so that we support our church, so that we support and, and help the poor when we are able to. Um, he gives us even more than is just enough for myself, and in that way I can provide for those things. Um, he also wants us to make sure that we help our neighbor keep what belongs to them. Um, and so, if I know that it is the uh, uh, going rate to uh, uh, shingle a roof for $200, and I come up to them and, and say to them, I want to shingle their roof, ah, they're old, they don't know anything. It's 600 bucks. That's what you have to give me. Everybody's doing that. Um, and so, by my manipulation, um, what do I do? I take more than what belongs. I'm not helping them keep what belongs to them. I deserve what I work for, but, but not triple what I work for, absolutely not. And so that we might help uh, uh, them to keep what belongs to them. We have employers that steal from employees. We have employees that steal from employers. We have those who use their position 
position in government in order to get favors, in order to get deals, in order to uh, line their pockets. Um, uh, they go into office, yeah, of course they ought to get a, uh, a salary for what they have been given, uh, but they come out uh, having made five times that amount in net worth. Where did all this come from? Um, what is happening is that there is a uh, deception concerning uh, these things. What does God promise to us? Well, we haven't got to the Lord's Prayer yet, but the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. What does God promise? He says, if we devote ourselves to the word of God, he says, and all these things, all this other stuff, I will provide for you. Um, uh, I will uh, take care of you in these ways. And so he pr promises uh, to us uh, that he is going to provide for us. And so we are to ask him, not for uh, great things, although many times he gives us even more than we ask, but even the, the daily bread that, that he provides for us. Um, seventh commandment. Uh, take our neighbor's money or possessions. Get them in any dishonest way. I've given some examples of dishonest ways in which uh, we take from them. Um, to help our neighbor. Hmm. Uh, our neighbor is... Uh, is is walking along, um, and as they walk along, they drop their wallet. What do you do? Do you say finders keepers? No. Why not? I found it. Why don't you keep it? Exactly. It definitely. And so I'm going to try to find out who it is, right? Um, if the clerk at the store gives you $20 too much in return, that's not your money. Um, you need to say, wait a minute, that, that doesn't belong to me. Um, and so I want to see, yes, I want to try to make sure they keep what belongs to them. Karn. You gotta get in the car, you got all the way back there, you gotta, I, you go, yeah, is it, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, uh, um, I wanna try to make sure that uh, what is theirs and, and what belongs to them, that they, uh, that they keep it. Um, any other questions? Just a comment. Just a comment. Yes. <laughs> It is true. Um, and yet we find that often, you know, um, parents, grandparents, you know, will say, hey, I'll take you out to eat, I'll provide for you. I mean, yeah, of course they want to. And yet you don't want to take advantage of those things um, either. We got a Bible passage for tonight. It's from Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is the last book 
uh, before we get to the New Testament. Um, I've got listed down here Malachi 3, 1 through 2. Repeat after me. See, I will send my messenger. Who will prepare the way before me. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare my way before me. Who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. We've been singing about John the Baptist, who is the messenger who is preparing the way for the Lord, getting everyone ready. It says, and then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. Where is God's temple? When Jesus came, it was at Jerusalem. It was at Jerusalem. And so Malachi 3 lets us know ahead of time. John the Baptist is going to prepare us, let us know he is the Lamb of God, is going to teach us to repent of our sins and be baptized, that we might receive him who comes and says, and then that one is going to come. It says, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his that is Jesus. And so in tonight's reading, we're going to be talking about Jesus who comes to Jerusalem. O oh Lord, open my lips. And my mouth will declare your praise. Make haste, O oh God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O oh Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Praise to you, O Christ. Alleluia. You may be seated. On the back of your white bulletin is the reading, and we'll serve for our teaching tonight. It's from Luke chapter 19, which is the gospel reading for this coming Sunday. Now as he, that would be Jesus, as Jesus drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple. But the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything. 
for all the people were very attentive to hear him. This is God's word. Our hymn is hymn 187. Jesus, he is coming to a city. What city is it? Jerusalem, exactly. Jerusalem is the capital. Jerusalem is the place not only was the castle where David was, but also it is the place where the temple and the temple grounds are. And so when you went to the temple, there was only one. It was at Jerusalem. 
So as Jesus drew near, you might say he saw the city Jerusalem. Was he happy? No. What did he do? Verse 41. He wept. He cried. He was sad when he saw the city. And here it is, the, the city that has the temple. Um, usually you would call it the holy city. You, you, know, you would say, hey, this is God's place. And yet Jesus comes, looks at it, and he weeps over it. He's sad. Something is wrong. Verse 42. If you had known, even you, especially in your day, there was something that they needed to know. And he's sad because the people in Jerusalem did not know it. What didn't they know that made him sad? Karen? That he was their savior and the law does not save. That the law does not save and he is the savior. And they didn't know it. And he says, especially, he says, in this day, in the one right now, because, well, they, they should have known this all along. You should have known it all, you know, from Adam and even Abraham and all and on and, and to, to now. But, but especially at the time that Jesus, the Son of God, is walking this earth. He's true God and true man. And so here he comes and he says, you don't know that. Now in verse 42, Karen, it didn't say anything about the, I don't see the word Savior. I don't see, you know, what you were telling me. What does it say? The things that make for your peace, and that's what exactly it's about, the things that make for your peace. They didn't know. Now, if they had known, um, a little bit later, he says something else, um, that they didn't know the time. End of verse 44. They didn't know the time of what? The visitation. There was a visit. Who was making a visit? Jesus was. John the Baptist was the messenger, and Jesus was going to come to his temple. And here he comes, the Savior Jesus, and they didn't even know that he was supposed to come. Now, if you knew that that was going to be the case, um, if, Nikolai, if your mom said, um, we're having someone over for dinner tonight. You go, well, who is it? You go, well, she says it's Jesus. Jesus has come. Whoa, wait a minute. Who? Now, if you knew that he was coming, right, what would you do? You know, I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What would you do? Karen? As I've said before, I would, like when the pastors come to the house, I'd pick up the clean clothes or lay it on all over my couch. <laughs> the You're going to clean up a little bit. You, you might clean up a little bit. You might make sure that you're not wearing sweaty clothes from mowing the lawn. You know, you might, what, I mean, but if Jesus, um, you know, here is the Savior, you would definitely welcome him. You would definitely want to hear his words. You would definitely want to. They didn't know. They didn't know. They didn't know the day of their visitation. They didn't know the time of the visitation. They didn't know the things that make for peace. Jesus makes for peace. He comes bringing peace. 
go just a little bit more. End of verse 42. How come they didn't know? Why didn't they know? Um, you should have told me. Karen, you know, you tell your husband. Mark, you didn't tell me pastor was coming over. You know, you know what? Why? How come you don't know that Jesus... They were preaching they the wrong the stuff. And they just were preaching them. They had wolves. You bet. Absolutely. But then the prophets telling them that he was coming for a couple thousand years, that a lot of detail about what would happen. They knew what the prophecies were or should have known, and he was fulfilling the prophecies in front of them. And yet they were so badly taught and so sure that they had a better idea that they didn't recognize him or wouldn't recognize him. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I think you know we, we get an idea of what our what our oppression is. Oh. Sin was their their real oppression, but they thought that their oppression was their own. And I mean we're guilty of it too. We think, oh, our bad days are oppression, or you know, oh well, you know, the pastor out from the carpet is my bad day. But no, it's my sin. It's that it's the really bad stuff. And so they were looking for someone to save them. Yes, and so if you think that um, the problem is that you're depressed a little bit and you're sad, then we say, okay, we're going to bring in the band, let's clap our hands and let's get excited and we'll be happy. And when we're happy, that takes care of the oppression of sadness. But wait, that's not the, you know, I mean, maybe you do need to clap your hands a little bit at home. <laughs> um, but here, what's going on? I need to teach you about the forgiveness of sins, about your Savior, the good things. That, that, that's the oppression that they didn't realize. But I'm going to tell you one more. Karen says they didn't tell them. They were preaching them some bad stuff. Um, it got even worse. Jesus comes in. Now, normally, he's very gentle. Um, the disciples, you know, I mean... The worst thing is, you know, Jesus turns to Peter and says, Satan, get behind me, and then he teaches him. You know, but he, 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 he's normally quite gentle. He corrects them. He teaches. When he goes into the temple, this is the one where he gets out the cord of whips and he drives out those who are buying and selling. Whoa. He is angry. He is mad. Um, a righteous anger. It's not sin. Why is he so upset? The end of verse 42 says, concerning these things that make for peace, it says, they are hidden from their eyes. What was hidden? Who's doing this hiding? Who's hiding this news about the peace of Jesus? Who's hiding this stuff? Cecil? Right. Those priests and those people in the temple, those who were the pastors, were not telling them, were hiding it from them. And so what had they done? Instead of using their office to preach the word of God, they've turned the church into a Walmart. 
Now, oh, well, you need sacrifices, so we'll sell you sacrifices. And, you know, uh, um, since uh, you, you need to have good sacrifices, we'll sell them at a really good price for you. And because you need to, you know, and so, uh, you know, from one thing to another, what had they done? They had turned it all into a transaction. They had turned it into, and they had turned everything in the church in a way in which they made themselves some money. And the people didn't know. The people didn't know that they weren't being taught the right stuff. They thought, oh, well, this must be the right stuff. Now, they didn't have a Bible in every pew, um, so they couldn't check it out. Who is Jesus mad at? Those pastors, those people, those who have set this up, he, get, you are, he drove them out. And then what does he do? He spends, and we're pretty sure that this is his last time in there, he spends two to three days in the temple teaching. This is the longest period of time that he spends teaching. When we get to the end of this, it says the chief priests, they were mad too. They didn't like that he was messing with, up with their stuff and driving out the money changers and the people that are selling the doves and the lambs and, the, and all this, and they are so upset of him. But it says at the end, they were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. They had never heard this stuff. Jesus is teaching them how he is the Savior. I'm sure he's showing them in Malachi 3, how John the Baptist came and then him. He is telling them how God loves them and that's why he is there. And so he is teaching them. He is the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He's teaching them this is not just about a transaction. This is about showing forth what God's going to do. So here he is, and he's explaining, and he's teaching. Ah! For the people, he wanted to teach them. For the leaders that have got this messed up, that are hiding it from them, and they don't know the peace, and that makes him very sad. He's very sad when God's people don't know the law that shows them their sins and the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus. So the things are hidden. He says the days are going to come. What's going to happen? Well, Jerusalem, it was the city that had the temple of God, and God promised to put his name there. He said, I will dwell with you in the temple. And then, from years and years and years, they began to neglect him. They began to not follow. They treated it. And, and finally, you know, when Jesus comes and says, we ought not to do this stuff. Oh, God's always going to be here. This is his temple. This is the city. And Jesus says, absolutely not. You can't say, oh, it doesn't matter how I live, or it doesn't matter what I believe, or it doesn't matter what I teach. No, he said, God's going to, what's going to happen? Enemies are going to come. They're going to set up an embankment. They're going to destroy this city, so much so that not one brick upon another is going to be there. In other words, they're going to come in, there's going to be desolation. Um, the people are, are appalled. How could this be? Um, could, would God do this? Um, when did it happen? 70 AD. 70 AD. Less than 40 years later, what Jesus says actually happens. Why? Because they had misused. God had given them a gift, and they had misused it. When you misuse God's gifts, he takes it away. He says, I've given it to you. I've provided it for you. And finally, after a while, he says, no, you're not. And so what happens? The temple's no longer needed. Jesus comes to the temple. He does what needs to happen. The temple serves its purpose. And when you reject Jesus, he says, well, you don't need a temple anymore. You don't have Jesus. You rejected his visit. He came to visit. You rejected it. And so it's going to happen. It's going to 
uh, uh, it's going to come against you. He says, what is my house supposed to be? My house is supposed to be a house of prayer, not a place where you guys do stuff. This is a house of prayer. A house of prayer is where we hear the word of God and we pray in response. There's always a communication that goes back and forth. Sometimes we talk about, we come, what do we come to church? To hear the word of God. Well, yeah, after we hear the word of God, we pray. Or we come to church to pray. Well, yeah, but first we hear the word of God that comes with the prayer. These two go together. It's a communication. You go back and forth. Um, what does God want? He wants us to listen to his word. After we hear his word, he wants to hear us speak back to him. Right? Um, if he tells us, you have sinned, what does he want us to say back to him? Yes, we have. I'm sorry. I confess my sins. If he tells us, here is Jesus, my sa the Savior for you, what does he want us to hear us say? Huh? And, yes, I believe it. I, I'm trusting in what you're giving me. I'm, he wants us to receive it. Thank you. We want to. I thank him for that. Oh, this gift, he wants us to make use of it. I'm going to grab onto this and hold on to this. Um, if he tells us that we ought to uh, pray, lead us not into temptation, tells us we need to pray, what should our response be? Whoa, okay, give me the prayer, absolutely. I want to hear it. If we learn that he is a loving God that gives us, then we praise him. These are what we do with our, that's what his house of prayer is. And so here, what had happened? They didn't know because they weren't hearing the word of God. Jesus drives out, gets rid of all the stuff that is getting in the way of the right teaching of the word of God. Um, do we have those that, that turn God's church into a, uh, a store? Well, yeah, we probably do. Um, I can think of so many other ways in which churches get in the way of, of the word of God that is, that is going out. And so uh, uh, we want to turn the church into a, a concert, or we want to turn the church into a, a social club, or we want to turn the church into a potluck, or we want to turn the church into, no, what do we primarily need? Of course I'm going to love my neighbor, and I might have a meal with them, and of course I want to, you know, that. but at the same time, what is first and primary? That we hear the word of God, and that we learn that truth so that we can speak back to him, so that we can have Without knowing Jesus, you don't know the things that make for peace. Maybe you've seen the thing. No Jesus, no peace. But if you have peace, you've got Jesus, because he is the one uh, who gives us uh, all that we need and provides for us uh, that righteousness. Um, they turned the house into a den of thieves. They were robbing the people of the word of God. They were robbing them of the peace. They were robbing them of receiving Jesus who visited them. Now, they were in Jerusalem. Um, you said it was Jerusalem. Do you know what? There's a Hebrew word. Sometimes Jews will say shalom. You ever heard that? Not really. Anyone else? What does shalom mean? Peace. And so Jerusalem, Jerusalem is the city of peace. Isn't it ironic that the city that's called Jerusalem, city of peace, has no peace because it rejected 
Jesus. Um, wow, it was even rightly named, and yet it does not because it did not know, doesn't uh, uh, know its name. Um, 70 AD, the Jerusalem, the, the, the temple was destroyed. Um, rebuilt? Nope. nope, still not. Um, so, we don't have a city anymore, a Jerusalem, a city of peace. Where, where do we look for God to come? Do we, do we know when God is going to visit us? Where, does, where is his visiting? Where does this happen? You are right. Do you know why? That is the right answer. I don't really know why. All right, let's see if we can get the, uh, the reasoning. You got the answer? What's the reason? Because that's where his word is. If Jesus, wherever God's word is, that's where Jesus is coming to us. So you're right. Primarily at church. Here is where we have the word with the baptism. We have word with Lord's Supper. We have God's word. Ah, so at church it ought to be. When you come to church, most of the time, we have, first thing you're going to do, you're going to have a Bible study, you're going to have a service, you're going to hear the word. You're going to, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, Jesus comes to visit us in his word. Many people say, oh, I, I, I don't have to go to church. Well, okay, maybe you don't have to go. Um, but if you knew... Jesus was coming wherever the word is. Here is Jesus creating faith. Here is Jesus coming. Ah, well then I want to be there. Um, I want to, if at all possible, I want to try to be there where I can hear that, that word. Jesus is coming to visit. There are many people that don't know that that's what the church is about. Um, is the church about standing up and sitting down? No. I mean, is, is, is the church about wearing certain clothes? Well, no, I mean, we especially as a pastor, I do wear certain clothes, wear, mainly to cover me up so that you pay attention to what I say and not so much to what I'm, I'm, I'm wearing. Um, and, and to say, hey, this is God's minister. God sent him to preach the word. So we're going to dress him up like a prophet, like maybe even like an angel, because he's a messenger. He's going to preach the word. Good. I want that to happen. But, you know, I, God could come to visit us at home. Now, primarily, you're right. It should be a church. But could he come to us at home, too? If the word is being used, family devotions, and uh, in your prayers at night, you might also quote from the word. Of course. It is. You are right. Absolutely. He can do it wherever he wants. The thing that we always remember is he's promised to come through his word. That's what he gave us a promise. Now, wherever that were, absolutely. Um, and and so even when you're out taking a walk in the woods, you know, is the Lord absent? No. Nope. But if you want to hear what he has to say, ah, I want to go where, where the word is. Questions. Let's see if I got all my things. Peace, God, the temple. I think I got it all together. Prayers this evening. If you want to get out your pink sheet. Now that we have heard God's word, what should we ask, confess, praise, or thank him? Karn? Ask him for peace. Ask him for peace. Very good. 
the one who wants to give us peace, what do we thank him for? For the peace he gives us. Who does he give him? He gives us that peace in his son, Jesus, who comes to us. Yeah, thank him for that peace. So we're going to ask him for peace. We're always going to think. Oh, thank him for a righteousness. Yeah, because I don't have it. Yes, absolutely. All right, on our pink sheet, um, I'll do the heading. Uh, some of you help me with the uh, italic parts. Uh, Ten Commandments. Mark, thank you. Apostles' Creed. Sadie. Uh, Lord's Prayer. Karn. Uh, Holy Baptism. Dan. Confession Absolution. Jane. And finally, Sacrament of the Altar. Karen. Please stand. We're going to follow inside with our pink sheet. The Ten Commandments teach what we are to do. The law of God reproves all sin and brings God's wrath. The law requires the entire confidence of the whole heart of man. In repentance, we acknowledge our sin, that there is no good in us. Without faith in Jesus Christ, all are utterly lost. You shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. The Apostles' Creed teaches what God does and gives. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord's Prayer teaches how we should pray.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Holy baptism brings us into the Christian community. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Confession and absolution is the voice of the gospel. The Lord Jesus breathed on his disciples and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The sacrament of the altar is food for the soul. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O oh God, as you declare your almighty power above all in showing mercy and pity, mercifully grant unto us such a measure of your grace that we may obtain your gracious promises and be made partakers of your heavenly treasures. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent us your Son and that he is our peace. And we ask that you would give us a peace of mind that rests upon knowing that we are saved through that same Jesus. We ask, dear Lord, that you would give us the desire to receive your Son who comes to visit us wherever the word is being preached. We ask all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.